If you have your Bible with you this morning, if you would, take it and turn to the book of Luke. Okay, come. Well, this is nice. It's like being catered to. He certainly is worthy of all of our praise. Turn with me to Luke chapter number 19. Luke chapter number 19. And when you get there, I'll begin reading in verse number 29. The Bible says, And it came to pass, when he was come nigh to Bethage, into Bethany, and at the bout that they called How many of you know the devil's going to try to do everything he can? I done broke one microphone this morning now. <laughs> At the mount called the Mount of Olives, and he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in which that the enter entering you shall find a colt tied whereon yet never a man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, Why do you loose him? Thus shall you say to him, because the Lord hath need of him. And they were sent, then they that were sent went their way, and they found even as he had said unto them. And they, loosing the colt, the owners thereof, said, said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? Now in Coleman, Alabama, that's, Where are you going with my horse? <laughs> and they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they sat Jesus thereon, and, w- and as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when they were come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto them, Master, Rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and he said unto them, I tell you that, if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Let's pray one more time and ask God to bless. Brother, let's see, Brother Chris O'Neill, would you pray? And man, I need you to pray for me this morning. I'm just feeling the devil's trying to just mess this thing up. And I believe that God wants to do something amazing this morning. If you'd pray for us. Amen. You can be seated. Now this portion of scripture here is what is often referred to as probably best known as the triumphant entry. Jesus is coming in to the Mount of Olives and as he's riding in, we know that they had taken the palm branches and they were celebrating and getting excited over the fact that Jesus was coming into the town. Now, if you've been coming to temple for very long, or if you've uh, maybe you attend another church that God just so happens to enjoy showing up at, then you know exactly what these people were feeling. 
They were getting excited, anticipating the moment that Jesus was going to arrive into the town. And just like whenever we get ready to come to church and we're, and we're getting ready in the morning, if everything's going smooth and all of a sudden you just start thinking, man, I bet we're going to sing. I hope we sing this one this morning. Any of y'all ever done that? And they just, they just started to get excited over the fact that Jesus was going to be in the town. Just like we get excited over the fact knowing that we're coming to a place where we know God is about to show up. Well, now they're getting excited and Jesus begins to come into the town and all of a sudden it just broke out. Man, they were shouting, they were singing, they were rejoicing, and they were having a big time worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as He came to where they were at because they knew that He was able to do great and mighty things. And then somebody had to stand up and try to ruin it for the rest of them. Pharisees stood up and said, won't you get them fellas to hush? Them disciples you got over there, they getting a little bit overexcited. I think we might need to calm them down a little bit. And Jesus turned and he said to the Pharisee, he said, listen here, buddy. He said, if these weren't praising me, then the rocks would have to cry out. You know, and then that raises a very interesting question in the title of my sermon this morning. What would the rocks cry? Now, when Jesus showed up in here earlier, when the choir was singing and people began to praise Him, and when the, when the chorus team got up or the praise team got up and we began to sing those choruses worshiping Him, and we were crying out to the Lord and we were worshiping Him. If, what if you were the only person in the room? Would a rock have to do your praising this morning? I wonder if we could go to three different places in the Bible, look at three different stories, and I'm going to do it quick. You're not going to have to flip and turn. We're going to have the verses all on the screen. But as we go to these three different places in the Bible, and we look at three very specific rocks, and we had the opportunity to ask them to testify what they might cry out, what they might get to say. So the first rock that I want us to look at is over in Exodus chapter number 17. The first rock is in Exodus 17, and the Bible says in verse 1, And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandments of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim. And there was no water for the people to drink. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee the elders of Israel, and thy rod, wherewith thou smotest the river, take in thy hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock of Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it. And the people may drink, and Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So you, you just kind of got to know a little bit about the history of the children of Israel. Every time things were going their way, it was hands in the air. Man, God is good. Look what he's done for us. But at the first hint of trouble, it was, let's kill Moses. It, it's there. I mean, as soon as something started going bad, let's get rid of this guy. What are we doing following him? And so Moses goes to the Lord and he says, what am I supposed to do with these people? And he said, they're almost ready to stone me. And God told him, he said, go and take the rod that I give you that you use to smite the river. And he said, when you take that rod, I want you to smote the rock of Horeb and water is going to come out. 
And I believe that if you were to talk to the rock that was smited, if you were to, is that a right word? If you were to talk to the rock that got hit with the stick, that it would testify to you, no matter how dry there is refreshment. No matter how dry there is refreshment. I, I have to mow grass every once in a while. And it's been hot this summer. Boy, it was hot yesterday. I was out at the aquatic center selling chicken sandwiches, man, as fast as I could go, burning up. It's just been hot. But some of you men know what I'm talking about. When you get out there and you're mowing grass and you're riding along and it's just cutting and you're out there and, man, you just got the sweat running off your face and you're soaking wet and you're sitting there thinking, man, why has she got me out here doing this? Because you know she made you cut it because you ain't going to get out there on your own. And why has she got me out here cutting this stinking grass? It's 411 degrees and nah, 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 nah. And about that time, she opens up the screen door. She's got that tall glass of ice water in her hand. All of a sudden, she begins to look angelic. <laughs> She's floating across through there. You stop and you turn the key off to the rider and you go, that's my baby. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about. And she, and she comes, and as she's coming towards you, she hands you that glass of ice water, and y'all's eyes meet. And for a while ago, you was cussing her in your mind, and now you're thinking that she was the best thing on this earth. And you take that glass of water, and you go to turn it up, and when you turn it up, you don't even care that it runs out both sides of your mouth, down your neck, on your shirt, and you just, what a refreshment from being so hot and so dry to being refreshed just in a moment. How many of you know a lot of times the Christian life gets dry? It does. It's not always peaches and cream. It's not always floating around on a cloud and everything's going great. Our, our salvation is not just a ticket out of problems. But sometimes Christian life gets dry. Sometimes we just go through the motions. Anybody ever been there before? Man, you just get to the point where, man, you came to church this Sunday and then you get to work the next Monday. You wake up and you're going to pull your 9 to 5 or your 8 to 4 or your 5.30 to 2, whatever it is that you have to work. And you get out there and you're, and you're just kind of going through it. And it's 5.30 to 2. You wake up, go to work. You come home. You get, when you get home, you go out and do your little bit of honeydew list. Then you eat supper and you go to bed. Next day, wake up, go to work, come home to eat supper, go to bed. And all of a sudden, it's just routine. It's just what you're doing every day. And where is God at in any of this? The only time that we've had to spend with God the whole day is the time that we spent driving to and from work. Try to squeeze God in there. Is anybody else guilty? I'm talking to me now. I'm preaching about myself. I'm talking about I'm guilty. And the only time that you get to spend with God is the time that you have just your car. And then you come into the house of God and you just drag. How many of y'all drug in here this morning? I mean, you just... You just drag. Not, not everybody. Some of y'all. I've watched Miss Nancy come in. She says, hey. She's, she's ready to go to church, boy. And there's a lot of days that most of us are like that. But there are them days. This is all you can do just to get in there. And you're coming on in. You're like, man, I hope nobody talks to me. 
Maybe I can just get to my pew. And you get there, and there's just something about being with God's people. There's just something about being in church when your brothers and sisters that you've, that you've lived and loved and experienced life with, and they're smiling, and they ain't going to let you sit there and be in a bad mood. They, you, you know what's going to happen when you come in in that bad mood? The one that is always cheerful is going to come right up to you and say, Hey, how you doing this morning? Ain't God good? Every time. And then the choir gets up. And they begin to sing. And we get that opening song going. And boy, we clapping. The best that we can do in a Baptist church, I reckon. And we, and we, and we get to clapping. And we get to praising the Lord. And then all of a sudden that special comes up and then the choir, the choruses and we're worshiping and we're having a big time. And before you know it, you drug in, but you're high-stepping out because you've done been refreshed by the Holy Ghost of God. What is it that causes that refreshment? What is it that causes that immediate refreshment? In the Bible, anytime you hear the water, it is a type picture of the Word of God. Jesus told the woman at the well, he said, yeah, you fixing to drink of this cup. He said, if you drink of my cup, you'll never thirst again. So if you're saved and you're a Christian and you, and you come into the house of God and you're dry, it's not because you're empty, because it's still there. It just takes a little bit of stirring to get it boiling up inside of you again. And boy, by the time that stuff starts getting going, you're ready just to have church. Maybe somebody came in here this morning dry. And you said, Brother Scott, you, I've come in here this morning and I was dry. Just to be honest with you, I'm still a little dry. And the Word ain't stirring in me like you're saying that it's supposed to. And it ain't. Well, maybe there's a little bit of a relationship problem going on right there. Maybe there's, maybe there's something that you need to take to God and lay it on the altar so that you can get up feeling refreshed. Amen? Not only do we see that no matter how dry... Well, let me say this first. I wanted to tell a story right here, and I think I may have told it a couple, three months ago, but it just goes good. A lot of times, when, and I'm trying my best to ignore that sound, so y'all just bear with me. A lot of times, when we're dry like that, as I said before, it's a, it could be a relationship thing in between us and in between God. and goes back to that working and just going through the motions. It was a story of a little boy whose papa was a preacher, and he decided he was going to spend Sunday afternoon with him. Well, papa said, hey, that's fine and good, but I've got to get ready for the service tonight. So you're going to just have to, you know, fend for yourself, entertain yourself for a little bit. And the little boy goes into the nursery, and papa goes into his study, and as he gets in there, the little boy all of a sudden starts hollering, Papa! Papa! He said, boy, I told you, I, I've got some important things to do today. He said, I, I can't be bothered with you. He's like, I'm just, I'm hungry. And he said, well, okay. He goes into the fellowship hall, pulls out some bread and some sandwich meat, makes him a sandwich, sits him down. He said, all right, I'm going back to my study. Just a few minutes later, Papa, Papa, what is it now? He said, I'm thirsty. And he said, Go into the fellowship hall, get you a drink of Coke, da da da. And he said, Maybe this boy's going to leave me alone. And he gets in there and he's trying his best. He's trying to be in a good mood because you know you love your grandbabies. And he's in there and he's, 
trying to study, and all of a sudden he hears it again. Papa! Now, son, what is it now? I'm bored. <laughs> I'm bored. Hey, y'all grandparents know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? I'm, say, I'm bored. And he thought, real careful. He said, you know what? I got a puzzle on my top shelf. It's one of them big ones. It's one of them thousand-piece puzzles. And he says, I don't like it when they sneak up behind me. <laughs> Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Man. He said, All right. Where was it? Somewhere along the lines of Papa. The puzzle. There we go. Okay. Thank you, Brother Ken. He looks up on the top shelf and he has a puzzle up there that is 1,000 pieces to put together a map of the entire world. And he said, Now I'll give this to him. And if I give this to him, he will not. There's no reason for him to bother me again for the next day. So he puts him in a room, gives him the puzzle, and it wasn't 30 minutes. And that little boy come running in there, Papa, Papa. He said, now listen, I give you a puzzle. You just, you need to go work on your puzzle. He said, I'm done. He said, you're done? He said, there is no way you have put together a thousand-piece puzzle of the entire world in just 30 minutes. He said, well, you come look at it, tell me if it's right. And he went in there, and he looked down, and it was laid out perfect, completely put together. He said, how in the world did you get that thing put together in just 30 minutes? He said, well, Papa, it was real easy. He said, whenever I was on one side and I was trying to get the map of the world all put together, that part was hard, but I started flipping them puzzle pieces over. And did you know that there was a picture of Jesus on the back, and whenever I got Jesus where he was supposed to, the whole world came together? You know what? If you came in here dry this morning, it might just be you need to get Jesus where he's supposed to be and your whole world start to come together. Amen? If you could ask that rock to testify, I believe it might tell you, no matter how dry, there is refreshment. Now we're going to go down, we're going to flip over a few books here and we're going to go to 1 Samuel chapter number 17 and I'll scroll down to verse 48. You don't have to turn there, we've got it here on the screen. The Bible says... And it came to pass, when the Philistines arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, and he took thence a stone, and he slang it, and he smote the Philistine in the forehead, that the, that the stone sunk into the forehead, and he fell upon his face into the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in David's hand. Therefore David ran and he stood upon the Philistine and he took his sword and he drew it out of the sheep and thereof and there he slew him and he cut off his head. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until they, until they come to the valley and the gates of Ekron. And they wounded the Philistines, fell down by the way of Sherem, and even unto Gath, and even unto Ekron. Now I believe that if you were to walk over to the head of Goliath, 
This is going to sound disgusting. But if you were to reach in there and you pulled that rock out of his forehead and you got a chance to interview that thing, that if you said, hey, how about you testify of the goodness of God? I believe that it would tell you, number two, no matter how defeated, there is revival. No matter how defeated, there is revival. You say, what's the difference of being dry and being defeated? The difference in dry and defeated is this, that if you're dry, that's an issue between you and God. He can fix that with just one simple prayer. But the issue between being defeated, that's whenever your circumstances start to come into play. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I mean, there's, you can be defeated in your marriage. You can be defeated on your job. You can be defeated just in your family. You can be defeated at school. And you're walking through life and you feel defeated and you feel beat up and the devil's on your shoulder telling you, you ain't no good for nothing. Telling you, you ain't going to be able to serve God. You ain't going to be able to... How many of you know where I'm going? How many of you know what I'm... You've had him on your back. You know how he is. And he t- how could you, of all people, think that you could ever walk around defeated? Look at, look at how she treats you. She don't love you no more. If she loved you, she wouldn't have said that. If, if, if he really cared about you, he wouldn't let all this stuff happen. Oh, you know, if he'd get him a real job, he'd be making more money and he'd really be able to take care of you then. Listen, he ain't doing what he's supposed to be doing. Walk around and walk around life defeated. Oh, David, David... One of my favorite characters in the entire Bible. From the time he steps on the scene to the time he steps off. Yeah, he messed up. That's why I like him. Because even though he messed up and he fell and he did some goofy stuff, and the Bible still says that David was a man after God's own heart. And yeah, he made some mistakes. He really did. But man, as a boy, the Bible says that he was a, that he was a youth. A youth. And in Jewish, in the Jewish customs, a young man becomes a man after his bar mitzvah. And the bar mitzvah is normally held at the age of 13. So it's very, very possible that David was only 12 years old going into the valley to slay the giant. 12 years, I got a boy that's 12 years old. And I can just see him going up through there. You know the, the reason why he was coming? He was just coming to bring him some cheese. He was got read it, it's there. He was just coming up there to deliver some cheese. And he got up there and he said, what's all this stuff going on over here? What's that guy down there cussing and hollering around about? Now I'm a little more country than David is probably. But he says, what's all that going on down there? And he said, oh, that's that Philistine. He's challenging all of our people. And then there was Saul that stood head and shoulders bigger than everybody else. And he wasn't going down there. And he said, well, if nobody else will go, I'll go. The whole army was defeated. They were defeated before they ever even met Goliath down in the valley. They had already counted it as a loss. They said, we can't handle it. He's too big. What's your giant this morning? What is it the devil's trying to tell you is too big? What is it the devil's trying to tell you that you're not ever going to be able to do this because of this giant that stands in your way? We've all had them. David said, Tell you what I'll do. I'll go down there and I'll take care of this bad boy. 
he had some brothers standing on the firing line said, what are you doing up here? Why are you even acting like that? You, you just need to go on back home to Dad. He said, listen here. He said, one time I was out tending my sheep, and a lion came up. And I took care of him with my bare hands. He said, there was another day. Now, if I had a brother that done whooped a lion with his bare hands, I believe I'd leave him alone. <laughs> That's a bad little 12-year-old. He said, not only that, but there was a bear came up. A bear. And I killed him. You know what I used? The guns. I just handled him. And he said, and this Philistine, this giant, this down in this valley, he ain't going to be no different. He said, I can, the God, same God that gave me the strength to slay the, to slay the bear, the same God that gave me the strength to slay the lion is the same God that will handle this guy down in the valley. And the same God that handled the bear, that handled the lion, that handled the giant, can handle the circumstance that you're facing that you say, there ain't no way around it. The God that we serve is still a miracle-working God, is He not? The God that we serve still specializes in things thought impossible. Saul says, well, why don't you just try on my, try on my equipment here, get my, get my battle armor on, and I can just see David. I had boys that played football, and they put on them helmets, and they go running through there, and that little helmet just bouncing all around. I can just see David in this, in this armor that's too big for him, and it's weighing him down, and you could just take that helmet and spin it all the way around. And he, he said, you know what? I ain't tried this stuff. That means I haven't practiced in it. It don't fit me. I don't fit it. But what did David do? He went down to the brook, and he chose five smooth stones. Five smooth stones, and he put them in his, he put them in his pocket. Why did he choose five? Oh, because it was the number of grace. Yeah, maybe. But did you know that Goliath had four brothers? He, wasn't, he, didn't, he didn't pick up five because in case he missed, he picked up five because he was going five for five. Anybody else come down there, he was going to deal with them too. But what happened? The Bible says that he ran. And it doesn't just say that he ran at Goliath. It says he ran at the whole army. He wasn't, he said he ran at the whole army. One 12-year-old boy with five rocks and a sling takes off at an entire army of devils and slays their giant. Reaches into his pocket, slings that. Right in his forehead. The Bible said, and then Goliath falls down on his face. Anybody ever been punched in the face? I'll admit it, I got punched in the face. You don't fall forward when you get punched in the face. If you ain't never been punched in the face, you need to be punched in No, I'm just kidding. It's an experience, I'll tell you. Tim, you've been punched in the face, ain't you, man? If y'all don't know Tim, he trains in mixed martial arts and stuff, and he's... He's a cage fighter. Don't mess with him. He's got my back. So don't mess with me. He's got my back. So, and this guy falls on his face. God just grabbed him by the back of the head and slung him down. Little old David goes over there, takes his sword, cuts his head off. I can just see him heading back to his tent with the head of Goliath in his hand. His little 
all his brothers lined up up there and saw, and all those people telling him, you can't, you can't, you can't. He walks by him, holds that head up. Look at what my God can do. Because no matter how defeated, there's always revival. Well, now, where do you get revival in that, Brother Scott? What happened at the end of it? After, after one 12-year-old boy slayed the giant and chased off the army, then the rest of the congregation, the rest of the army, decided, well, let's run down the hill with him. Them brave fellas. And they go taking off, and they're, now they're shouting, and they're running after them, and they're hollering, and they're in revival. They done been completely revived of the fact that they, oh, we just ain't never going to be able to beat that guy. Man, look how big he is. Look. And then all of a sudden, oh, they're bad now. We got David on our team. You know what? We got God on our team. The same God that was with David is the same God that's with you and me. The same God that gave him the strength and the courage to go down there is the same God that will give a sinner this morning the very courage that it takes to come to this altar and ask him to come into their heart and save them from their sin. No matter how defeated there is revival. I remember when I was helping a church in North Carolina, I worked up there for about two years as associate pastor. And my youngest son, Devin, he was probably four years old. And my oldest son, Seth, he was all 10 or 9, something like that. And we were out and we were throwing the Frisbee. And we were just kind of throwing the Frisbee back and forth. Devin decided he didn't want to play no more. He goes over and he sits down in the grass. And me and Seth, we're just throwing the Frisbee back and forth. Well, about that time, Devin lets out this awful, awful scream. I mean, it's the panic. It's not the, it's not the oh, they're getting loud in the basement scream. It's the something is bad wrong scream. And it's just, ah, ah. And I immediately, and I took off. And I went up there running to him. And, you know, we're out in the grass, and I'm thinking, well, well, maybe he's gotten into some briars, or maybe there was some glass on the ground. Maybe he's cut himself or hurt himself. And I get over there, and he's sitting in the grass doing this number. And there was a ladybug had came and landed on his knee. And he thought that it was the worst day of his entire life. I mean, I don't know if he thought that it was going to bite him and he was going to die. I don't know if he thought it was going to crawl into his skin and he was going to turn into a zombie. I mean, but he was just horrified. He, it was so, and I went over there and I wanted to just be like, it's just a ladybug, you little, but no. I reached down and I was the hero. I said, and I smacked that ladybug off of him and he said, and I was the hero over a ladybug. <laughs> What's the moral of the story? Sometimes our giants ain't nothing but little ladybugs. That's the truth. Things that you don't, don't think that can be handled. All it takes is for God to come over and just flip that thing out of the way. And you know what? Here's the cool part about it. He wants to do that. He wants to do that. Why does he want to do Oh, this is good. He just told me this. Why does he want to do that? So that we'll go reach up to him. He just wants to hold us a while. He wants us to love on him. He wants to love back on us. That's why we come here. 
We didn't come here out of obligation this morning. We didn't come here out of tradition this morning. We didn't come here just because it's what we do. We came here this morning to love on Jesus a while. Amen? Not only, if you were to ask these rocks to testify, would you find one that said no matter how dry there's refreshment, you'd find one that would probably say no matter how defeated there is revival. But I believe you might find another one over in Matthew chapter number 27. This is my favorite one. Matthew 27 and verse number 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain, the top to the bottom. You know why it was rent from the top to the bottom? So nobody could say, man, tore that veil. It had to be been God from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. And they came out of the grave after his resurrection. They went to the holy city and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. And many women were, and many women were there beholding, beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee ministering unto him, among which was Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and mother of Zeb the mother of Zebedee's children. When the evening was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. And he went to Pilate and he begged the body of Jesus. And Pilate, com Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body... He wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and he laid it in his own tomb, which he had hewn out of a rock. And he rolled, great, he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. Day one, the crowds yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. He's beaten. He's mocked. He's spat on. A crown of thorns placed upon his head and then beat into his skull. Bloody, the Bible says, so bad that you couldn't even tell that he was a man. Taking that beating for our sins, for all the wrong that we had done. They take him, they put him into the grave. Roll the stone over the door. That was day one. Day two, all the disciples are done ran off. They're hid out somewhere, fleeing for their life. Hopeless, helpless. It's all over. I thought we was going to rule and reign with him. I thought he was going to set up his kingdom. I thought that we were going to be kings and priests. What's going on? I saw him do the miracles. I saw him heal the blind. I saw him make the lame to walk. I even saw him go to Lazarus' house and raise him from the dead. What's going on? Confused, lost, couldn't figure it out. And then day three. Thank God for day three. And then that third day, a couple of women were going head over to his grave to maybe decorate it with some flowers and some perfumes and do some customary things back in that time. And they get to the grave, and the stone that covered the sepulcher, or his grave, was rolled away. 
And they said, somebody has stolen the body of our Savior. And they go running in there. Sure enough, the body's gone. And then they come back out. And there stands Jesus. Alive and ready to live forevermore. Although that he was murdered, he was crucified, despised and rejected, put into a tomb. Everybody gets fearful, turns on and then he rises again to prove that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I believe that if you were to go to that stone, that stone that covered the grave of Jesus, that it would testify to you this, that no matter how dead there is resurrection. No matter how dead there is resurrection. How many of you got a family member that's lost? How many of how many of you just know somebody that's lost? Now, how many of you love somebody that's lost? Boy, there's a big difference in knowing somebody and loving somebody. But either one of them ought to motivate us to get them into the house of God. But I've got a brother that's over there in Pell City. He is a heathen. I mean, he just does what he wants to do, going to be that way. And, and he, I, every, it seems like every time I try to say something to him, I hit a roadblock, Brother Chris. And I've had people say, maybe he's just too far gone. Maybe, maybe it's just too late for him. Oh, can I tell you something this morning? Maybe you've got a son that somebody's told you, maybe he's just too far gone. Maybe you've got a cousin or a brother or a daddy or a mom that, some, that everybody said, they're just too far gone. Let me tell you what Jesus says. Jesus says, there ain't no such thing as too far gone. Jesus said, hey, I can reach down into the deepest, darkest pit and pull them out and save their soul. People over there in Scottsboro, Alabama, if you go over there and you were to say, hey, do you know Scott Campbell? And you told them that he was a preacher, they would have said, I thought that he was too far gone. But I stand in front of you this morning saved, satisfied, redeemed by the love of Jesus Christ. And because of what He did for me on the cross, even though I was dead in my sins, I've been restored this morning. I've been resurrected this morning. If you're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, you're just a walking dead man. That's all it is. Maybe you know somebody. Maybe there's somebody in your heart. Maybe there's somebody that, that you've been praying praying and praying about. And oh, after a while you go, you know what? I may, and you slip off and you don't pray for them like you should no more. Because somewhere in your heart you've done been convinced. They're dead. Just dead. And we'll take some time in a little bit and we'll pray for those people. But this rock, on the day of Jesus' resurrection, I believe it'd tell you, no matter how dead there is resurrection. No matter how dead, there is resurrection. I love the Lord with all my heart. And I remember the days that I I just would do what sinners do. Had no desire to serve the Lord. Had no desire to be with Him or His people. I was dead to my sins and trespasses. What does the Bible say over there? I believe it's in Ephesians. Ephesians 2, 1 says... And you hath quickened, and you hath he quickened, who were dead to trespasses and sins, 
where in times past you walked according to the curse of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom all we have all our conversation, in times past in lust and our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But two of the greatest words in the Bible, after following a paragraph like that, but God, who is rich in mercy, for His grace, love wherewith He loved us, even when He were dead in sins, hath quickened us together by Christ, by grace are you saved. And He hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Now, I've asked the questions, how many of you know somebody? How many of you love somebody? How many of you have a family member? But I'm going to get real personal right here. How many of you are telling yourself, I'm too far gone? There may be somebody in here this morning that you know you're lost. This was your last-ditch effort. Somebody's been begging you to come. You finally came just to appease somebody else. I got saved because my brother invited and invited and invited me, and I wanted him to shut up, so I came. I wanted him to leave me alone. I thought, hey, if I go, then he won't ask me no more. And I was just trying to get it over with. And then God came to where I was at and put his arms around me, Brother Donnie, and said, it was, and I thought it was my brother that was tricking me. No, it was God. He said, I, I, I tell you what I do. I'll just use your brother to get you here, and you'll think it's your last time. I stand before you almost 12 years later, a child of the king. Too far gone. Ain't no such thing as too far gone. Maybe you're in here this morning, and you've been telling yourself during this whole sermon, man, I really want what they got. I really want that joy. I really want that peace. Maybe you've even thought to yourself, I'm dry. Maybe you've thought to yourself, I'm defeated. And now God's telling you, no, no, you're dead. But God, who is rich in grace and mercy, for God commended his love towards us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You say, Brother Scott, how can I come up there and give my life to Christ when I was just out last night doing this or I'm just out last night doing that? I really need to get my life together before I try to give it to God. That's not the way it works. Here's how it works. You give your life to Him and let Him do all the straightening. You, if, I promise you this. If you say, God, I'm yours, you fix me, He will. It ain't going to happen overnight. You ain't going to be a walking saint and just perfect the next day. But man, things will start to fall off you and fall off you and fall off you. And I'm going to tell this story and I'm done. But there was a king who loved elephants. And I told this story before too, but it's just a good one. And he just absolutely just loved these elephants. And more than anything, he wanted in his courtyard a sculpture of an elephant. So he called the greatest artist that he knew. And he said, can you carve me out, out of this rock, an elephant? He said, I believe I can do that. He sets the rock in the courtyard, and the artist, he just goes to work, hammering and chiseling, hammering and chiseling, day in and day out. And he's working on that rock. 
And then it comes time for the unveiling of this, of this sculpture. And the king walks out into the courtyard and that rock is tarped. And they pull the tarp away and there behold the most beautiful sculpture of an elephant that king ever did see. And he walks around it. And he just rubs it. And he looks at it. And he's amazed at how great of artwork this piece had actually become. And he looked at the artist and he said, How in the world did you take that rock and make it into that elephant? And the sculptor looked at him and said, Really, it wasn't that hard. He said, I just took that rock and I knocked off everything that didn't look like an elephant. You say, I don't know if I'm ready to give my life to God or not. Let me tell you what you do. You come forward as a rock. And he'll just start knocking off everything that don't look like Jesus. Just let him do the work. Amen? Let's pray. And ask God to bless the invitation.